we wanted to focus this semester, the Master's University Chapel, on the Master Himself, Jesus Christ, the King of everything. I'm so glad you're back. Welcome. Good to have you here. What good, good job leading us in worship today. Thanks for singing. It's great to be back. Isn't it good to be back at the Master's University? So good to see you, and I wanted to just add my welcome to Joe's and CJ's. We've been waiting. We're excited. We're grateful. And as we begin our year, we've been asking the Lord, Father, what do you want us to focus on this semester? You know, last year, our theme was life on life, coming out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, where Paul said, I was well pleased. I really wanted to share not only the gospel with you, but my own life, my own suke as well, the people that I love, the people I want to influence, it's life on life, and that was our theme. This year, we have chosen, as we have become a university, to reaffirm our focus on our foundation, the Master Himself. Our primary focus this year will be the Master of the Master's University. Our theme is Christ is All, and we will focus on the glorious person, the marvelous and unrivaled work of the one-of-a-kind, only-begotten Son of God. Paul wrote in Colossians 3.10, after he said, as a Christian, you're to lay aside the old self and its evil practices. He says, you have put on the new self, the supernatural, redeemed, regenerated by God's self. You've put on the new self, now listen to this, which is being renewed. It's being transformed. It's being changed, which is being renewed in and by means of knowledge. And that knowledge is according to the image of its creator. The knowledge of Jesus Christ, our creator, is the means God employs, our awareness of him, our understanding of him, our reflections of him, our knowledge of him renews us. It transforms us. And it doesn't matter who you are, who we are. There is, here is, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, which is Paul's way of saying, listen, it doesn't matter. This knowledge of Christ is transformational. He goes on to say, Colossians 3 verse 11, but Christ is all and is in all. Here's why I'd like us to begin this semester understanding this. Jesus Christ is in every believer. Red and yellow, black and white, no matter where you're from, no matter what your heritage or pedigree, if you have come to know Jesus Christ by faith, he is in you by his spirit. And then Paul goes on to say, and he is all to all of us. If you believe that, would you say amen? Jesus Christ is all. And we want to focus on him, our master. We want to make much of him this semester. We want you to know him. We want you to know him better. We want you to love him more and to raise his name higher. 
It's my privilege as your campus pastor to have the honor of opening God's Word with you today to introduce a passage I have come to appreciate that raises, I hope, your appreciation of our Master who is all. Take your Bible, join me in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. The Gospel of Mark, inspired revelation of the one and only Jesus Christ. And I've chosen this chapter, the times that I'll be up speaking to you this semester, I want to unpack this chapter. Because basically this chapter says Jesus Christ is the one and only. There is no one like him. He is one of a kind. He is the, own, the one and only releaser of the unreleasable. He's the one and only healer of the unhealable. He's the one and only raiser of the unraisable. He is a one of a kind, one and only Savior. This is the emphatic revelation of Jesus that declares, and this is my heart toward you today. Some of you are coming back to us. Some of you are brand new to us. Some of you have had a great summer. Some of you have not had such a great time at all. Some of you are doing better in your faith. Some of, some of you are struggling in your faith. And here at the outset today, based on the passage we will unpack regarding the King who is all, to us all, the purpose of this is to declare no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what has happened to you or what is happening to you, because of who he is, there is hope and there is help in Jesus Christ. He is the unique and like no other Son of God. He is God made flesh, the only begotten of the Father, sent to rescue us sent to reveal God to us, the one and only sent out of love to deliver us and to heal us. Mark chapter 5 begins to reveal in ways that are really incomparable. This is a hard case with a hard man, and it says Jesus Christ can release the unreleasable. Follow with me as we read together Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. It's been a long day. Lots of ministry has taken place. The Lord has taught. He's commissioned disciples. They've come back. They've crossed the Sea of Galilee. The great storm came up. The seas have been calmed. It's been a long, hard night after a long, hard day of ministry. And immediately, verse 1, they come to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerizines. And when he had come out of the boat, referring to Jesus, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And constantly, night and day, among the tombs and the mountains, he was crying out and gashing himself with stones. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and he bowed before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, referring to Jesus, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. 
And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to entrust, entreat him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a big herd of swine feeding there on the mountainside, and they entreated him, the demons, saying, send us into the swine so that, they may, so that we may enter them. And he gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. And those who tended them ran away and reported it to the city and out in the country, and all the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. And those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began to entreat him to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, referring to Jesus, the man who had been demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him. And Jesus did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people. And report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went off and he began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. May God bless this is his word. And may you see the King of Kings, our master, in a way today perhaps that you never had. I'm going to break this up into three sections. One, I want you to consider a man's desperate condition. Number two, the man's life-changing provision, referring to our master, and any man's path to liberation and restoration. A man's desperate condition, the man's life-changing provision, and any man's path to liberation and restoration. Number one, a man's desperate condition. I want you to learn some lessons about deep darkness, enslaving evil. I want you to learn some lessons by this man's condition. Number one, this passage says, verses two and three, he was alone drowning in death, surrounded by death. I think the truth that you can, you can see it here in verse two, he came out of the tombs, Verse 3, he had his dwelling among the tombs. Here's a truth that I think you ought to consider as it relates to deep darkness and evil that enslaves. Evil fixates and evil isolates. First off, this man's struggle with evil drew him and drove him to a place of death. Evil is like that. It fixates. And it focuses on death, not life. It is comfortable with death. It's attracted to death. It celebrates death. Evil is dark and it likes the dark. It is morbid and gravitates to death and darkness. Listen, when you see in the culture or when you see in your life a propensity towards the music of death, the visuals of death, fantasizing about death, dressing 
in a way that promotes death. We have, we have goth things, we have black this, black that. We are a culture saturated with werewolves, vampires, zombies, every sort of thing that relates to death. Understand this, the enemy of everything loves death, and the king of everything loves life. And this man has been driven, Luke chapter 8, parallel passage, been driven by the demons, deep darkness, into a place saturated with death. That's what evil does. And evil isolates in the place of death. A Jew could not go to a graveyard, to these caves that the dead were buried in. They would be unclean. He's driven away from civilization. Evil isolates you. Evil exposes you to darkness, it is an evidence of the work of the enemy. It is antisocial. Number two, he's out of control. He's unmanageable. Verse three, no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Verse nine, he had a legion. My name is Legion. 6,000 is a legion, a Roman legion. We are legion, 6,000 potential demonic spirits, deep, deep darkness. We are many. Here's a truth. Evil escalates. No one was able to bind him, keyword anymore, even with a chain. We are many. Implication, once upon a time, they could bind him. He could be restrained, maybe first with a rope and then with a chain. Now, not at all. Evil and its strength escalates. Maybe at first there was only one spirit, then a few, then many. And over time, undealt with issues and entities results in an unmanageable situation. Nobody could humanly control him because of the strength of the enemy in him. He was constantly tormented and hopelessly dominated. Listen, evil will escalate. Dabbling in darkness leads to dominated by darkness. This guy didn't just jump in. He became enslaved by the darkness The easiest day you will ever have dealing with the enemy's power and his presence is the first day. Number three, he's enslaved. Ultimately unchecked, the escalating evil will control, dominate, and enslave. Verse three, no one was able to manage him. No one. Many had tried. Many natural options had been employed, but evil has dominated them all. Listen to me. Evil is stronger than any human solution, any human restriction. Evil is stronger than human efforts, the efforts of the possessed, the oppressed, the assaulted, and the efforts of those who would desire to help them. Bottom line, no human effort or solution can control or deliver. You see this in our culture where you'll have some person enslaved to some behavior and they try to get free and they try to find relief and they they do so for a season or they do so for a time or they may morph into some other category and 
There's no freedom without Christ. There's no deliverance from evil without Jesus Christ. He is a one-of-a-kind releaser of those who are enslaved and dominated by deep darkness. No human effort is sufficient. There's a fourth thing we need to notice about this man, verse 5. He's tormented and he is tortured. Here's the truth about evil. It torments. Verse 5, constantly, night and day, no relief, no rest, crying and agonized and tormented screams, gashing himself, self-inflicted wounds and self-contempt, perhaps like cutting. You know, where you injure yourself because of the pain involved and the unmanageableness of it. So you hurt yourself so that you can control the hurt that you feel. This is tormenting. The enemy given license without the permission of the king of everything will destroy anyone. That's his goal, which leads me to the fifth thing. This man is spiraling. This man is dying. This man is a living hell is his life. Verse 5, the broken man. Verse 13, the drowned swine. Here's a statement I'd like you to hear. Evil seduces and it ruthlessly crushes. This truth is confirmed by the downward spiral of this man. You, you get caught in the cycle of pursuing the things of the dark. There's no boundary and there is no end except destruction. This man's life is proof of it. The power of it, the extent of it. And the undeniable demonstration of the end game of the enemy is what happened when they were sent into the swine. I believe the vivid visual verifying the presence of the demons and their destructive nature is revealed in what happened when the request was made, let us go into the swine, and what immediately happened once they got there, they ran to their death. Evil spirits have no regard for their host. They consume and they dispose at will. Only God's grace and plan prohibit the destruction of every God-created thing. The collective word for demons is mazakin, which means one who does harm. Barclay writes, these demons are malignant beings, intermediate between God and man, and they are out to work harm on every man. And this man doesn't have just one of them. There are legion, thousands of them. When I first became a pastor at the church I served in Birmingham, we got a call at the church from a husband who didn't know how to manage what was happening in the life of his wife. And the senior adults pastor and I arrived within minutes to the home in an effort to try to support and help him. And the home was only a few miles from the church. And the next hour I spent early in my ministry in that home with that husband and his wife, I will never forget. 
She was curled up like a ball on the bed, moaning and rocking, releasing periodic wails of anguish, expressions of torment and fear. She felt like she was in danger of imminent death. She cried, she sobbed, she screamed. It was heart-wrenching. And when I would approach her to comfort her, and I called her name and said, Barbara, and I gently touch her, she went rigid as if an electric shock was pulsing through her body. She sat up and, or she sat up and she glared at me with eyes boiling with hate. Different voice, different tone. She cursed me. And then she threatened me. She threatened to take my life, and I stood there kind of amazed. It was taken aback. Here I am, a, a former college football player, and here's a weaponless middle-aged woman saying, your days are numbered. And all I could think to say was, in the name of Jesus, you'll do no such thing. And what seemed like an hour, she would go from weeping and moaning to cursing and threatening. And after what seemed like a standoff, finally exhausted, she fell asleep. And the senior pastor, the uh, senior adults pastor and I left that home with no apparent ground having been gained. And I made up my mind that day. I'm going to learn how to engage someone deep in darkness. I'm going to learn from the Scriptures how to engage someone who is enslaved by evil. She was dominated by what she was experiencing. She was a slave to it. Her life was torture and torment. It disrupted her home. She had young children. They're confused. It was a mess. And I'd like to say that was the only time in my ministry life that I was exposed to that reality. But it was not the only time. There were many times. A man's desperate condition is some of the most torturous, difficult seasons any individual can know. And I think Jesus tells this story to accentuate the fact that no matter how bad your desperate condition is, I am a one of a kind. No matter what the issue is, no matter how severe, I am the one of a kind, life-changing provision to liberate and to restore. I want you to consider some things this passage teaches us about our Savior. I want you to consider our Master's capacity, the man's, the God-man, the man's life-changing provision. Three things I want to highlight, lessons to learn about the delivering capacity of Jesus Christ as revealed in this passage. Number one, he has authority. He's in charge. He's in control. Verse 7, he has the authority to torment the demons. He has authority, verse 9, to require them to identify themselves. And you say, what's the big deal with that? Well, no enemy wants to be identified. To force them to do things detrimental to their agenda. He has the authority, verse 10, to send them away. 
He has authority to grant them access, verses 12 and 13. They come up to him in verse 7, and the man comes up to him, and they speak to Jesus, verse 7, and crying out with a loud voice. I take that to be the amplified voice of the enemy because of what is said. What do I have to do with you, Jesus? Now watch their label. And Dr. MacArthur likes to say this. Demons, fallen angels, have orthodox theology. They know the truth. Some of us don't know the truth, but they know the truth. They may lie to us, but they know the truth. And this is what they say about Jesus. Here's what they call him, son of the most high God. What they are confessing is he is the one who has the highest authority, the son of the most high, El Elyon, the one raised to the highest level, the supreme one, the most excellent one, the one highest in rank, extremely exalted, sovereignly supreme. Listen, here's a lesson to learn, undeniable in this passage. The Son of God, the Master, has authority over everything. The deepest darkness, the most enslaving evil, no matter how many, no matter what kind, He has absolute sovereignty and control over it all. Matthew 8, 16 when he didn't even come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast them, he cast out the spirits with a word. He doesn't have to wrestle. He speaks. You remember in Matthew 17, the one that was very ill, the father brought his son to his disciples to be healed, and he, they couldn't heal him, and he was, the father said the son was a lunatic, very ill. He would fall into the fire and often into water, Matthew 17, 15. And uh, I brought him to your disciples, says the father, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered, oh, unbelieving and perverted generation, how, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? What was the problem that Jesus had with his disciples? They missed the main point about his identity and capacity. How long? How much do you have to see? How many times do you have to be a witness before you conclude what you have to know? I have authority. It is absolute. It is unassailable. It doesn't matter who or what. I'm in charge, which is why he said, bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured. I love this at once. Peter writes that we are saved and delivered in chapter 3, verse 21, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, validating his work on our behalf. And then it says this, Peter writing, verse 22, 1 Peter 3, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities have been subjected to him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians 1. You know this passage, but for the sake of the moment, let's, let's follow along. Ephesians chapter 1 and this massive declaration of Paul when he prays that 
the Ephesian church would have their heart enlightened, the eyes of their heart, which is a way of saying, I want you to see what you've never seen before. I want you to know the hope of your calling. I want you to know the riches of the inheritance which is available to you as a child of God, and I want you to know of God's power. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart, chapter 1, may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. And this power is in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. This is referring to God, which he brought about in Christ. So this is God's power revealed and demonstrated in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And not only alive from the dead, but seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And I love verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He, God, has put all things in subjection under his, Christ's feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church. Jesus Christ has absolute authority, validated by his resurrection, validated by his ascension and exaltation. Jesus has authority. Remember when he was resurrected, he met with his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, and they were fearful and they were doubting, and the words they heard were meant to comfort them. He said to them, Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Listen, let me bottom line with you. As it relates to the man with life-changing power and provision, this passage offers undeniable hope in the person and in the authority of Jesus Christ. He controls them, the darkness, the demons. They do not control him. They must submit to his authority. The truth is that when the authority of Christ, by his word and his spirit, comes to bear on deep darkness, even if demonically inspired, the enemy must comply. The reason I say this is because one of the chief lies of the enemies is to promote the idea that there's nothing that can be done, that your situation is hopeless, that the torment is endless. It'll always be this way. Where I am, the difficulty I'm in, and some of you, you've either seen it or you may have experienced it. You may be living it. Here's the truth revealed here. It doesn't matter what it is, who it is, how it is. Jesus Christ has absolute authority. He is the Son of the Most High. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to Him. And when through Him and by Him you engage His capacity, you can be delivered in a life-changing way. Can anybody say amen to that? It's transformational. I can't tell you how many people I've ministered to over the years that would say, it's hopeless, I try, I can't, they want to give up, it's difficult. If his authority is exercised and released, there's no power in the universe that can resist it. 
That's why Paul wrote in Romans 8.31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 1 John 4.4, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he or they who are in the world. Number two, as it relates to Jesus, he not only has absolute authority, Jesus Christ liberates. He sets prisoners free. Jesus can do what no one else can do. Notice verse 8. He's telling the demon in Mark chapter 5, the demons in Mark chapter 5, to come out. In verse 13, they came out. Jesus can do what no one else can do. No matter how long, how many, how hopeless, Jesus can deliver the depressed, the oppressed, and even the possessed. Listen, if you don't get anything else out of this opening message about Jesus Christ, the one and only, get this. I think this is the force of the entire passage. It's to make clear that just like the powerful storm that he said, peace, hush, be still, there is no force of nature or power of evil from which Jesus is not able to deliver. The clear implication of this passage is that if Jesus can deliver a person this dysfunctional, this demonized, he can deliver anybody. If Jesus can deliver from 6,000 malignant demons, he can deliver from seven, Mary Magdalene, he can deliver from one, he can deliver from anything, anywhere, anytime. Jesus can deliver you. He can deliver you from any storm and any enemy. Seen or unseen. Anyone, anywhere, anytime. I mean, we could go through the New Testament and highlight places no matter where in the synagogue, Mark 1, on the Sabbath, no no matter when, no matter what, a mute man in Matthew 9, Matthew 12, a blind and deaf man, no matter how long, a woman with an 18-year infirmity. Listen to Luke 13. He was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. She was bent double. And there are physiological outworkings sometimes and often when the enemy's involved. She was bent double. She could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over. He said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made erect again, and she began glorifying God. It doesn't matter how long it's been. It doesn't matter how many. It doesn't matter where. Jesus Christ is able. Listen to Mark 1 and the force of the opening chapter of the Gospel of Mark when Jesus Christ hits the scene. He begins his ministry, and the first ministry event was in the synagogue and he set a man free who had been enslaved by the enemy and then later that day mark 1:32 and when evening had come after the sun had set they began bringing to him all who were ill key word all 
and those, all of those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. Verse 34. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. Which is a way of Mark saying, everyone who came, the many, all of them, no matter what their issue was, physically or spiritually, he healed and he rescued and he delivered them all. All of the all. He demonstrated absolute authority. Jesus Christ is the Son who will set you free. He said it, John 8, 36, If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Galatians 5, 1, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Jesus Christ is the releaser and liberator. He specializes in setting captives free. Thirdly, he restores. I want you to notice verse 15 of Mark 5. When they came out, the demons, the people came out having heard of this miraculous, life-changing provision of the one-of-a-kind releaser of the unreleasable, verse 15. And they came to Jesus, the people of the town, and they observed the man who had been demon-possessed. And instead of running around assaulting everyone and anyone, he was sitting down. He is now clothed. Luke's gospel, chapter 8, said he'd been naked for a long time. He's now clothed, and he's in his right mind. He's not psychotic. He's not insane. He's not undone. He's settled. The very man who had had the legion. The restoration. Jesus restores. The great calm that came over the sea has come over this man. Jesus delivers, and Jesus restores. Finally, thirdly, let me get to the last part of this. Thirdly, consider any man's path to restoration and liberation. I want to give you just three things to think about if you either know someone or you are that someone who is caught, enslaved, and challenged. Let me give you some principles that are derived from this passage. I'm calling it any man's path to restoration and liberation. What do you do? What are the principles? And I'm not arguing for a formula. I'm arguing for principles as revealed here. The first thing, three things. Number one, what does a person do? What is necessary? Verses 2 and verse 6. Number one, believe in him. Trust Him. And my argument is you don't run to someone you don't think can help you. You don't run to someone who you don't think can help you. However it was that he had come to be aware of the fact, verse 6 says, from a long way off he saw him and he ran to him. Why did he run to him? I believe it's because he believed he could help him. Believe who he is. Believe he, Jesus, is who he says he is. That he can do what he says he can do. He is the son of the most high God. 
Believe it. The enemy knows it. You need to know it. Belief is critical for liberation. I don't have time to unpack it all, but Mark 9, in that scenario where the disciples tried and they failed, when Jesus said, hey, you're an unbelieving generation. Key words, unbelieving. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? What's the, what's the problem? You should know this. I am who I claim to be. I can do what I claim to do. You should know this. That's Mark 9. The, the seas have been stilled. A demoniac has been delivered. A woman has been healed. A dead child has been raised. Jesus has walked on the water. He has fed the 4,000 and the 5,000 over and over. He's put on display. I can do this. Why don't you believe me? Master's University student, freedom begins when you know and are convinced of what the demons knew. He is the Son of the Most High, and He is able. He's authoritative. He can do it. There's nothing you face that he can't do. Which is why he said to that father who said to him, he's often, my son, been thrown both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And the father says, but if you can, talking to Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And do you remember what Jesus said back after he said, if you can? This is what Jesus said, if you can. It's not an issue of whether I can. The issue is whether you can. Can do what? Believe me. All things are possible to him who believes. It's not the believing that he will heal me. It's the believing that he can, that he is who he says he is. This is where the faith healers say, hey, if you just have enough confidence, enough belief, if you can conjure enough faith, God will do it. Well, this guy says, hey, I don't have a lot of faith. Actually, I have a little bit of faith. Help my unbelief. It's not about volume. It's about the object. Do you believe that Jesus is the releaser? of the unreleasable. If so, run to Him. Come to Him. Call out to Him. If you've been entangled a long time, you may need to solicit a partner, somebody that loves you and cares about you, and you tell them, look, walk with me. I've walked a lot of people home because in the condition they're in, the challenge that they're in. They need reinforcements, people who will reinforce and affirm the truth. Somebody that just reads the Scripture, somebody who loves them, somebody who reminds them. As they're coming to Jesus, you may need to be an ally who partners with them. And if you're that person who over and over again have come to the place where you're not sure there's freedom for you, enlist an ally. You're in the safest place on the planet. You're in a Christian university who believes that Jesus is who he claimed to be. We're all sinners. We're all challenged. Some of us are caught. Stand up and walk with somebody and trust somebody to walk with you. You know why? 
because the end game of not securing that freedom is great torment and great tragedy, destruction. Third thing, and I'm done with this, so that you can go to your first day of classes. Aren't you excited? Third thing, yeah, I might have lost you right there, sorry. Third thing, submit to him. I want to highlight something for you. Verse Verse 6, and seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up, and what did he do? He bowed down before him. Pros kuneo. Kuneo means to kiss. Pros, to be to, toward. It can be bowing down and kissing the ground in honor or regard. It can be blowing a kiss as if it's, it's showing worth, honor, and value. Some would say the reason he's bowing is because the demons are making him bow. I'm going to argue he's bowing because he knows and believes and hopes in who Jesus is. And he is bowing down in submission and some form of worship. Demons don't worship. This is a worship word. Do whatever Jesus Christ asks you to do. Submit to him. Honor him. And be delivered by him. We don't have time today, but write down James 4, 7 through 10. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil, which means stand against him. Do you know that the uh, mountain lion is the biggest human predator in our nation? Mountain lions kill from behind. The word resist means antihistamine, face-to-face, stand up against. One of the things you need to do in order to be released and liberated is not only to bow down and worship to the one who is worthy, but you need to stand with confidence, eye-to-eye. Mountain lions do not attack from the front. They attack from behind. They attach at the back of the neck. They sever the spinal cord. They never attack from the front. The enemy doesn't attack from the front. Keep him in front, face to face. Resist him. Stand firm in the truth. Speak the truth. Believe the truth. You know all of the armor in Ephesians 6? It's armor in the front. No armor for the back. Don't run. Don't hide. Stand strong. Resist the devil, and he will what? He will flee from you. James 4, 7 through 10. Submit and follow. Cleanse your hands, repent. Purify your hearts, confess. Make up your mind. Don't be double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, and weep. Be miserable over your sin. Let his grief break you. Let your laughter at sin be turned into mourning and your joy in sin to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. That's bow low and he will exalt you. He will deliver you. When I preached this sermon at my church seven years ago, I ended the sermon by asking the woman who I'd met early in my ministry, Invited to her home by her husband. 
to do what this man was invited to do in verse 19, to stand up at her home church and tell her church that Jesus Christ could set a prisoner free. And Barbara stood up in front of our church and said, I was a prisoner. And Jesus is everything he claims to be. He saved me. He released me. And now he uses me for his glory. And at my church, everybody stood in honor of the one who is the only one who can set captives free. The master of the master's university is a releaser of prisoners. Can you say amen? Amen. Father, thank you for our time today. Thank you for your word. Lord, this man pled that he could travel with his liberator. And Jesus said, no, you stay home. You go into your home and you go into your city and you tell everyone of the glorious work that God has done for you. Tell them of the mercy that he's displayed. Lord, it's my prayer today as a part of this university family that there will be testimonies in the days ahead of those who have struggled with issues of deep darkness and enslaving evil, that they'll bear witness someday to us and to their family and to those they love to say, Jesus Christ set me free. Lord, maybe we honor the one who is worthy. May we submit to him. May we run to him. May we trust him. And may we be able to give testimony to him. He is the one and only. And for it's his glory and honor we pray and preach today. And all God's people said, amen.